on this computer. Hi, welcome to the Caffeinated College Coach. My name is Wendy Steinberg, and I'm so happy you joined us today. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Malky Glassman. She lives in Coral Springs, Florida, and I have known her for many years, and she's a dear friend. And so she is going to tell us about her college journey and um, how she ended up in the profession that she's in. So I'm going to just hand it over to Malky, and I can't wait to hear your, your story. Thanks. Thank you, my dear, sweet friend. Um, cheers to our coffee. Cheers. Wait, who is sponsoring your, who is, what coffee is it? You said so hazelnut from Amazon? Hazelnut brand from Amazon goes in my, in my Keurig. And then we, we currently caffeinate with our, exactly. with our. So that's our sponsor today. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, I have to tell you, I'm not from the speakers club. I was very hesitant um, to just do this, but I'm going to do it because I do have a story to share. Um, I was not on a regular college track to graduate high school, put my applications in with amazing SAT scores and, um, you know, just go on that normal linear track, um, as you so eloquently put it. I am a first generation um, undergraduate college, a successful college graduate. Nobody above me in my direct family ever went to college university. So there was a track for people just like me who really worked hard, but didn't have the normal grades or um, I know you could put it into better words for me, but like that normal expectation that you graduate with great scores and you apply to the 10 colleges on your top 10 list and you two or five of them. And then you just pick one because they all said, yes, no, not for me. Um, but my high school, they offered a, like, um, a, a bridge, a bridge program. It was called groups. And it allowed me to go to the in-state school of Indiana University, the semester, the summer semester before my freshman year. And it was like an automatic in if I successfully completed the group's summer program, which were basically prerequisites um, for whatever undergraduate track I picked. So I was like beyond, I felt like, I, I wasn't uh, seeing so many um, of the open revealed signs of the spiritual person that I am now, because I wasn't back then. I was just grateful to fit the mold. I was so excited that I was going to go to college and change the trend in my family. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I don't know if it was expected that I go or if, um, you know, that was what anybody wanted me to do, but at 17, 18 years old, that's what all my friends were doing. And so I had a way into college that was going to get me into a top 10 school and, or I should say in the big 10 conference, because of course sports was very important then too, um, to get me in and get me going, um, wherever I was headed. Because honestly, when I went into that summer semester before my college freshman year, I didn't know what I wanted to do. No clue. I just was in and I was so excited. So there were some friends um, from high school who, who did this journey with me. They weren't, I mean, I graduated in a class of 832 kids. There were almost 3000 kids in my school, my high school. 
oh one of the biggest ones in the state of Indiana, North Central High School. Um, go Panthers. And I, I mean, I, I loved high school and I was really excited for college. Um, I didn't know what I was in for, but this summer program really allowed me to, to take my independence and really prove to myself that I was worthy of it. I could, um, be the organized, dedicated, motivated individual that I wanted to be. And it was a gift such, I just, that's the only thing I can call it is a gift because I probably would still be struggling getting an associate's degree at a local technical college if I did not have this gift, which is not a bad thing because many people do that and they are mucho successful. And, but, you know, this was the journey that was, you know, kind of set up for me. Um, I got to live in an amazing dorm. Um, It was nostalgic. It was one of the older castle like looking dorms. And it had this, just this feel. Um, I, I really felt like I was in a dream for that first summer. Um, I was allowed to do things that I always wanted to do, but never knew I was going to be able to do that. Like, I didn't have to eat dinner at six o'clock. And I didn't, you know, I could exercise late at night if I wanted to. Um, of course, maintaining safety, even 20 years ago, was very, very important. But um my father drove me to Indiana university and dropped me off. And I'm not sure who cried harder. Um, it was surreal. Like he was taking his biggest girl, his oldest girl to college. And that was something I think was more of a dream for him than I even realized. Yeah. So summer semester went, it was hard. It was, it was no joke. It was, um, go to the bookstore, get your books, um, find a job. Actually, we had to work study. I did work study too. Yeah. Had to work study. But you know what? That's what kept me grounded. That was like what kept me because I had been working since I was 15 years old. Like McDonald's was my first gig and I could have been, I could have been rocking that. <laughs> um, what do they call the independently owned franchises? I could have yeah. rocked that franchise. And I did for a while. And even when I moved down to Bloomington, Indiana, um, I didn't start, maybe I, I can't remember if I actually was still working at McDonald's right then, or if like maybe six months later, I was on the regular track. I was accepted to the college of arts and sciences after the successful completion of that summer program. Um, I, I just, I felt an independence that I really just was yearning for, um, I knew the expectations were there that I had to sustain all of these expectations, um, which were reasonable. They were totally reasonable for a scholastic, for a scholastic journey. Um, you know, maintain work study, maintain above a C average, um, you know, have fun, live, learn how to live. Um, so that, that was how I got started. Um, When it came time, here's what I wish, and I want to make sure is included in in this podcast. Um, I wish there would have been a counselor that was really looking out for me, my best interest. It was a Big Ten school. There's 30,000 people that go to this school. I'm sure. Okay, maybe not that many, but, but still, Indiana University is a huge conglomerate. Like, yeah. 
you know, I wish there were someone, a counselor that would have said, why are you doing this track and not looking into nursing? Because nursing was not my first gig. My first gig was a bachelor's in arts in criminal justice. What did you want to do with that? I didn't know. I was so excited (laughs) college get a degree. I did not know. Right. Um, I think during some point at some point in time, maybe become a lawyer would have been something that I would have explored, but I didn't. And four years went by and I graduated in May of, I don't know what year, 1990 (laughs) and with a bachelor's and that was a feat in itself. And then I, you know, moved back home and I took that criminal justice degree and I did a summer internship. And then um, one of my first jobs was working at a juvenile treatment facility, a residential juvenile treatment facility in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I, I say I moved home to Indianapolis, Indiana for the summer. And then I, then I decided I wanted to live away because that's what I was used to, like, you couldn't just show up on my doorstep, like, you know, in five minutes. So I decided to be close enough to home um, that I could jump in my car and go see my family, but far enough away that I was sustaining my independence. So I got this job with the Hamilton County Juvenile Treatment Facility called Hillcrest and a, a judge, a reputable judge opened up this facility for juvenile delinquents who didn't need to be in prison. They needed to be rehabilitated. They were sex offenders. They were petty theft. They were doing all kinds of things. And here I am this, you know, fresh, hot out of college, didn't know what I was doing, but you know what, that's the real life experience that, that I wanted and needed. Wow. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I knew that I would have to go on and get more degrees were I to be successful in that field. So then I moved on from the juveniles to the adults and I went and worked at a halfway house in Cincinnati for women coming out of the penitentiary. They were being released from Columbus, Ohio and coming to live at this um, halfway house um, in um, Cincinnati, um, a a conglomerate of Talbert House. Talbert House is a, um, they have like 23 different um, facilities. Some are residential, some are for mental illness, some treat, um, um, substance abuse, uh, mental illness, um, the whole gamut in that area. And I loved it, but I disliked, um, the way I was treated by management in that particular halfway house, um, left a very bad taste in my mouth. Um, just how long were you there for? I stuck it out. I stuck it out for like two years and I was miserable. I was helping people. I was felt like I was helping them and they were appreciative of the help I was giving, giving them. I was a case manager. I had to make sure that they got the basics in life. Like, do you have your driver's license? Do you have your ID? Do you have, you know, a birth certificate? Do you have, you know, your name and number of your probation officer who was amazing, by the way, I remember him vividly. Um, He really looked out for these girls, just like I did these women trying to not become the 85% of women yeah. who reoffend. Um, so that was, it was satisfying for me, 
but I just couldn't keep doing it under the circumstances in which I was working. I was bullied, whatever. Nonetheless, I picked myself up and I um, found my next job. It, it was really not in any type of treatment or case management. I ended up going to the Cincinnati Bar Association and coordinating continuing education courses for attorneys. So I kind of changed. I, I went on the other end of the spectrum. Right. Um, I was in an office. I was appreciated. I was helping to coordinate. I didn't manage or direct. I was just, you know, I was... Are you mean like behind the scenes sort of? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I made sure breakfasts were ordered and registrations were completed and, you and know. attorneys got all the swag, right? Yeah. <laughs> always. Always. If I got a leftover crusty pumpernickel bagel after the morning thing, I was lucky. Oh my gosh. But I had great management. I really liked this friend who guided me. She was my opposite. She wasn't like my, my work wife or work husband, as you call it, but I really did look up to her. I really appreciated, um, her, her, um, adulting (laughs) because I still wasn't, I was just trying to bills and figure out what I was doing with this silly criminal justice degree. Anyway, it, you know, everything for a reason. And then I got married and then, and then I had a kid. And then I was like, I want to be in bond with this kid. I want to be home with this kid. I don't want to work and put this kid in this amazing, beautiful child into daycare. So what do you do? You switch shifts and you find a job that can accommodate three to 11 because that is a shift. Yeah, it is. That is for real. That's a swing shift. Mm-hmm. And then there's shift, 11 to seven that I found out exists out there too in the world. It doesn't just shut down when I go to bed. <laughs> The world keeps moving. So what um, my daughter was a preemie. She was about six weeks early. She weighed four pounds, 14 ounces. She was a rock star in the NICU. This is my sweet Ellie. Um, She rocked it. And we did what we had to do to make sure mom was happy with being home with a child, being home with her kid. And also dad could take over and we could save in, in um, daycare bills. Um, there wasn't much overlap. We had a friend help out, you know, from the time dad got off work and I had to leave anyway, it all really worked out well. And I really was awesome at that too. I was amazing. I was a call center worker at us bank. I didn't know that. I'm with the customers. I was so nice. They appreciated it. I have a funny I know, right? I have a funny, quirky story about this banking gig. Can I share it? Oh my God, you could. This is your hour, boo. Go for it. Okay. So, one of these calls, somebody called up and they said, Honey, I just don't get it. It says I have no money in my account, but I have all these checks in my checkbook. I don't get it. My account says zero, but I still have all these checks I could write. I said, I know, honey, it's hard. It really is hard because you spend it quicker than you can earn it. I get it. She really thought that if she had checks left over that she automatically had money in the bank. (laughs) Oh, bless her heart. I felt like I was doing okay in the world because my budgeting skills were on target. Um, I wasn't the guys that, that even though I had spare checks in my checkbook at the end of the month, because that's how we paid bills back then, by the way. Right. Oh, I still, yeah. I still have a checkbook. I'm still part old school, part online. Some bills won't even let you 
pay with a check. It has to be right. electronically sent. Right. Oh my goodness. We don't want your paper. Keep your paper. I love my paper. Yes. So how long were you at US Bank then? Because I know you wanted to be with Ellie and you were okay. balancing so much. Totally. And so then what happened? My stepfather got sick with colorectal cancer and I went to visit him with my daughter and my then husband. And I was like, I looked at him, his dying self. He was comfortable. He was on hospice. It was a beautiful journey. But I said, I am in the wrong field. My daughter comes busting into this world, four pounds, 14 ounces. I have hospital experience now. Um, my stepdad's dying. I brought him home from the hospital, from a West Palm Beach hospital that was amazing. I think it was called Good Samaritan Hospital. They are amazing. If I lived closer, I would want to work there. Um, and, and I looked at him and I said, I need to be a nurse. I need to go into nursing. So what do I do? I go home. I get divorced because I was not happy. Um, I just don't think we were meant for each other. I know that he was meant for someone else and that's wonderful. And I finally at 47 years old, am able to admit that. Um, I went to become a nurse's aide and I worked three to 11 and 11 to seven every minute. I did not have my girl and we made it work. And then I went to nursing school. I mean, I don't know how I did. I don't know. I don't not know. know. I, Where I did you back. go to nursing school, Malk? Good Samaritan College of Nursing. Got my associate's degree. Awesome. I was in leadership there. I loved it. I awesome. was, you know, I had great core studying groups. I know where a couple people who I want to know where they're at still that I went to school with. Mm -hmm. And I rocked it. I got an associate's degree. And then I started working on an orthopedic neurology floor at Bethesda North Hospital. And I love that too. And I had great mentors. I am still in touch with most of them today. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, that hospital is amazing. The whole tri-health system, I yes. cannot say about. And I can say some things and I want to. Um, I just want to infuse a little bit of what I figured was insanity. Um, I got remarried. I started having more children. And then the hospital... Um, demanded or requested because of the status of the hospital being magnet certified. What does Mag that mean? Okay. I don't know what that Mag means. Only 3% of the hospitals across the United States have this stature and this status and Chai health took it upon themselves, which I am thrilled about because it allowed me to grow and learn even more. It's a five year, um, that they ascertain a magnet status for five years. And these are some of the components. 80% of your nursing and bedside staff must have their bachelor's degree. So you had to get a BSN? So I had to get a BSN. How was I gonna do that with breastfeeding one baby and having another one on the way? I don't know. Right. So what other components come along with magnet status? Um, certification in your specialty area. And what was so, your specialty? Med surge, medical, surgical. Um, I was on the ortho orthopedics. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. Okay. Orthopedics was my specialty. That's what I got certified in. Um, it's in the scope and realm of medical surgical. It's not telemetry, not the heart. It's not ICU. It's not labor and delivery. It's not mom, baby, but it is a specialty within the medical surgical, um, state. Yeah. Um, 
So, okay. I had to go get my bachelor's, had to get certified. Um, and the hospital has like, um, clinical ladder that you have to be, uh, clinical ladder for, um, nurses that they should be involved in community activities. They should be donating blood. They should be delivering wheels on meals. They should be, um, thoroughly involved in the community. They should be a leader at their work. Um, they should be, oh my I mean, God. I, honestly, I have to tell you that when I moved down to Florida four years ago and I interviewed at a couple of hospitals and figured out that they were not magnet status, I decided right then and there, I was not giving my time to any of these hospitals. They didn't deserve me because right. I worked at a magnet status hospital, try health. Um, and I, I'm telling you, I'm just grateful that I had hospice experience because that's, that's basically where I'm at now. I'm using my hospice expertise. Um, Tell so, me how you got your BSN. Oh my God. Well, TriHealth paid for it. They did. Okay. So that was the onus of only having my, um, the onus of only having my undergraduate um, degree from Indiana University still on my payroll <laughs> or not on my payroll, but on my budget, on my bills to be paid. Um, I was able to do it with a little bit more of sound mind. Like they okay, paid yeah. for it. They said, give us five years when you're done to try health wherever um, and we'll pay for it. So they did. And I think I gave them three or three and a half years. And that's when the cusp came where we decided we needed to move our children to a different community. And they never actually came after me. I have to admit, like, I kind of felt guilty, but I'm like, in that three and a half years, I'm quite sure I gave 10 years worth of my value, my time, my heart, my blood, my sweat, my tears. And so, you know, you were there for how long overall, though? I've been in nursing 18 years, I tw almost 20 years. Um, of that time, it was all spent at TriHealth. It was never okay, spent. Okay, so you gave, out. you gave them, yeah. They did, but you know what? They were so good to me. They really were. Like, I know there's nurses out there because not only did I expound and expand in the ortho neuro world, then I, then I got comfy in that with all the amazing schooling and learning I had from my bachelor's and associates. Then I went into the float pool. I was like, went anywhere they, they needed me. I was, I felt honored. They were like, look, Malky's on the schedule. We can send her to so-and-so floor. We could send her to so-and-so floor. I was like, I, I was so proud of myself. I really, really was. So you went to college or were you online? How did you do this? Good question. I'm bragging about the work that I did after, but this is about. No, and you should, because I know how good you are at your job. I just don't know how you had two yep. kids, one on the way, new husband, getting your BSN. It did was you sleep? all. No, but I don't either now. So we're okay, good. Fine. Um, I. Um, online. It was all online. I never had to go in person. So nice. Truly, truly a blessing. Seriously. Like you're submitting your, your off the cuff or well thought out responses <laughs> quickly online, send, boom, yeah. done off the list. Papers due in two weeks, get bits and pieces done. 
I am very organized. I'm not a procrastinator when it comes to my obligations with school, with work, with life. Um, in other areas, okay, yeah, I can procrastinate. I can reprioritize if you want to call it something else. But um, I did it online. I, I don't think I could have done it in person. I really don't. How long did it take you online from start to finish? 18 months because I had a bachelor's degree in something else. Had I not had a bachelor's degree in something else, forget about it. I probably still wouldn't be in school. (laughs) (laughs) You know how prereqs work. And if I didn't have, how many, how many credits do you need to graduate undergrad? 110, 117? I think it's 120, right around 120. So if I didn't have that, I would still be doing, yeah, I was doing prerequisites or into the core nursing. Right, right. People I worked with. So it was really nice to collaborate with those people online. It gave me a sense of adulting, like being able to talk, like I'm, I had babies underfoot, but like I needed to mix that with, um, with life. And so it did add a beautiful moment. And your experience in the job, was that taken into account at all? And, um, like, did it shave off any classes or did it, did it count for clinicals? Like, did you still have to do clinicals? At a BSN? No, no, not for a BSN. Okay. Already working as a nurse. Okay. If an MSN or a nurse practitioner or a doctorate, yes, totally. Oh. But, you know, I was working full time. Yeah, I absolutely could not compromise that because, because of life. Right. Um, but I was able to get the work done because, you know, I know that the partner in crime, the father of my children, he was able to help navigate and negotiate time and dinners and breakfasts and lunches and school and driving and helping mm-hmm. me, you know, critique my, what I was submitting so it really, it was a joint effort. I couldn't have done it um, without that help. Yeah. I was super proud of myself when I graduated. I couldn't believe I had a bachelor's degree, an associate's degree, and another bachelor's degree. Like, it, it can be done. If you want yeah. it bad, it can be done. And those, those really are the words that I would give if anybody gets nothing else from this besides how I made it through my crazy life um through those years is yeah. that if you want it it doesn't yeah. have to be done in record time it doesn't it can be done at your pace at your level but it can be done yeah that's awesome um I realized when I was in the float pool that um I think I wanted to try something else. And I asked my mentor, I said, what do you think about me going to hospice? And she's like, I love hospice. I, not just because I'm a nurse, but because, you know, for many reasons. Yeah. But I don't just want you doing for nursing. I want you to take a higher position, like enough. Like you, you've done what you need to at the bedside. I want you to go and lead. So she said, go be the charge nurse. And I was like, me, what? The one that just fills in for the charge nurse when the charge nurse calls off because they know I can do it, but there's not really a place for it. 
She said, yes, take the position of night shift charge nurse at the inpatient unit of Hospice of Cincinnati. And I interviewed and I said, that's where I'm at. I can accept it or I can stay in the float pool. I took the job. I am so excited that I did because it's not about titles. It's about actually using the knowledge and empowering other people that are, mm -hmm. have been, are going through where you've been and giving them the motivation and the guidance and the support yeah. that they so deserve. You know, I kind of live vicariously through them while growing myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, working on the night you have a skeletal crew and you can pick and choose to, to go above and beyond and do things that you wouldn't normally do with a full mm -hmm. house during the day. Yeah. So I did that and I absolutely loved it, but they were eight hour shifts. So I was working five nights a week. Yeah. I had my days free, but I was working five nights a week and it was tough. It was hard. Um, you know, we live in a, in a, in the Midwest or I did then where there's, um, seasonal issues like snow and rain and sleet and those things that made it really kind of difficult sometimes to work eight hours and then try and get home safely. That was scary. Yeah. So then what happened was they closed down the Cincinnati, the um, hospice of Cincinnati inpatient unit to remodel it like a $1.2 million remodel. And what they did was they dispersed this all over. Uh, they put some of us different inpatient units. They put most of us back into the hospital as like a float staff for patients that were coming on to hospice that were in beds in the hospice, but not ready to go home on their home care or go into an inpatient unit. We were managing those patients. Okay. Well, guess what? I got a taste of night shift management, but then they put me back to where I, my roots were. And I was like, I miss it here. Yeah. I really miss it here. I realized. So I did my time and I went back to the float pool and I rocked it there. And then we decided to leave. Then we yeah. decided to leave. So I gave up. I gained more than I ever gave up. That's number one. I gained more than I ever gave up, but I did give up 18 years of vested seniority. Um, I gave up leadership. I worked, I, I, I left an amazing institution, yeah. uh, bedside care, learning everything to make sure my kids had the education and the comfort that they needed to grow themselves. Yeah. yeah. So here we are in South Florida and I decided not to work for any of the healthcare systems down here because none of them are magnet status, which obviously I've explained to you means yeah. everything. Um, yeah. world's yeah. different in the level of care that you get. Mm -hmm. And, um, I came to hospice. They obviously really didn't have a hospice of Cincinnati in South Florida. So I went with the, um, with Vitas healthcare and I'm thrilled. I'm so happy. What do you do? I am a home healthcare nurse. I visit, um, hospice patients who have been deemed appropriate for hospice care, but to live at home. And um, my census has been as high as 20 patients at one time. I don't see all of those in one day. I see five patients a day, but I do it based on acuity. I do it based on how are you holding? Where are you on the spectrum of health right now? Yeah. Where are your needs the greatest? 
Um, were there were there calls overnight that required um, intervention today? Yeah. So, um, I go to visit patients and I run interference when I need to. And actually these past two weeks, I've actually upped my game and offered my help in another um, uh, zip code. Um, and I have taken on three other patients in another zip code, which helps out the patients. In the end, you know, I don't do it for management. I certainly don't do it for the money. That's for sure. I do it for patient satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. That's what do I do. Get, I visit. Patients. Do you get to be home with your kids? Like, is it nine to five? Is it eight to five? Like you get time. It's eight to five. Uh-huh. Yep. It's eight to five, but I have the autonomy to make whatever schedule I need to see, you know, in clusters and then come home and then go back out again. I have so much autonomy and it's actually why even though I've been, um, I've been, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I've been come to by management to see if I want to go into management, um, suggested it's been suggested for, for, for years now. And they're like, do management. And I'm like, no, that's not where my happiness lies. My happiness does not lie behind a desk managing people. Right. I want to critically think at the bedside and um, make sure these patients get the best care possible. Um, I am flattered and honored that they think, and that my reputation, my, my reputation precedes me that in a good way, Patients are, and families are writing in letters, um, yeah. you know, giving accolades. That's wonderful. Yeah. That keeps me wanting to go back and keep doing what I'm doing. And it's not in a managerial sense. Yeah. Um, I do want to clarify you know, for our listeners that Malky has an amazing gift that when her patients are dying and they need to just let go, she is this calm barometer, this beautiful, like, extension that, yeah, you can let go. And she's phenomenal with managing families, because sometimes families can't let go. They, they don't want to come to the realization that this family member is not going to recover from their current diagnosis or their current situation. And so Malky brings to the bedside such, I, I wanna say it's a gift because I know what you do and it's not easy. And I mean, how do you, I mean, do you just kind of like visualize when you're driving home, you're throwing out the baggage out the window so you can be present for your kids? Like, how do you process? Cause you've, you've been there bedside when people have died. So like, how, how do you shake that? How do what, how do you do that? I can't even talk. So <laughs> I'm so, I'm so Oh, I'm glad that you asked that because it's a part of my job that I, that I don't, I don't often talk about because I just do it. And the reason most recently that I realized that I do it is because when my father passed away, it's going to be three years. Um, oh in, my gosh. Wait a minute. It, it just was two years, please. Right. I think. Yeah. Um, so he said to me, 
when in the early stages of his disease and diagnosis, he had COPD, but with an added bonus, if you will, of cancer of the lung, which actually he was very close to beating. Um, he, they shrunk the tumor with chemo and radiation, but you know, chemo has a tendency to not only kill the bad stuff, but it wreaks havoc on the good stuff too. So if you have another comorbidity, it, you know, it's definitely a fight and a journey, but he looked at me and he said in his raw, emotional, vulnerable state, he said, you've got to keep doing what you're doing because I see what you do now. I see what a, what a gift you have in a, in a field that is so taboo. Yeah. Um, and that's why when I, I don't want to go and see this family that is resistant to giving their loved one care and it's really hard. Um, I remember that I was able to show my dad, my biggest cheerleader, my biggest advocate, what I did and how I could break stereotypes about what I do. Um, you know, so many, so many thoughts come fleeting, but I can tell you in, in response to your question, how do I do it? It's because even when the hardest family comes at me crazy um, and I see their dying loved one there, I realize that I have to meet those families right where they're at. Yeah. And I have to talk the way they can understand that we are not hastening death. It's not within our realm, our scope, the law in any state that I work in to hasten death, God forbid. We don't slow things down. What I can tell them is that on average, when they realize that a doctor has deemed their diagnosis terminal, that I can extend or expound on their lives and, and in, by on average 67 days longer. Wow. And that's quite a bit when you have a, yeah. when you have a terminal diagnosis. But on the spectrum of health, I can keep you optimal. I can right. keep you up here with my clinician skills and an amazing doctor that I work under. You know, we together and a social worker and a chaplain and a manager and home health aides, not necessarily even in that order. I can yeah. keep your life as comfortable and as manageable as possible. Yeah, That's how I can deal with um, those people that you are thinking can't get to where they need to be to let their loved one go. Yeah. They see unravel in an open and revealed way. Right. They see it. And in the end, they can breathe. Yeah. Just one quick caveat to that. I was telling, I, I, let me paint the picture, 94 year old heart disease patient. These patients can, can wax and wane and they can, and they can die in a, in a heartbeat. And I gave these two daughters of this patient three days before their mom passed away permission to be daughters. Mm -hmm. I said, your job now is to stop managing mom's healthcare and be a daughter. That's why you have us. You have a battery backup. You have an umbilical cord. You have, you know, a way that you can fall back on and know that your mom's care is going to be planned accordingly. And, you know, after this patient died peacefully with minimal interventions, because it was just her time. Um, the last things that the daughter said were, thank you for giving me permission to be her daughter, because that's how she, they got closure. 
that's how they got to um, be able to, um, you know, get get closure on their mom's death. Yeah, and, you know, and she didn't pass away, and she didn't expire. Mom died. Yeah, you know, I I love how people use special words, um, you know, about death. But you know, I am charged with using the D word. Yeah, I have to introduce it. Otherwise, you're not doing my job. Yeah. So I'm super proud of what God has given me the strength to do. Sometimes I don't know how I do it. Sometimes I vent and I rant to my friend. Do I don't know if you know her, but she's amazing. Like I text her incessantly through the day. She's amazing. You're my lifeline. Really? <laughs> like I, I text you and I'm like, I need to vent. Or I'm driving and I send a verbal like microphone thing. Anyway, it's um, so I know you said earlier on because your educational journey wasn't linear and you shift shifted careers. Um, one of your messages was that just don't give up no matter what your age. Um, if you thought your life would be X, Y, and Z, it's now it's ABC. What other um, sort of inspiration as we wrap up our hour together, would you say to people initiating a career change or, or trying to get into college? Um, because I was a first generation as well. I was lower socioeconomic. I had to pay for my degrees by myself. Um, and it's, it's difficult. So um, share your wisdom with everybody listening. So it's, it's not like, okay. So first of all, I want to say I'm still paying for that undergraduate degree at Indiana university. I still get $167 a month bill. And had I known that I shouldn't have, um, what do you call it when you merge two loans together? Yeah. You're consolidating. Right. Had I not done that, it would have been forgiven because I'm a nurse and I was a frontline worker. Oh my God. Word to the wise out there. (laughs) Don't consolidate your stuff till you talk to someone bigger and better than you. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. God. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And I want to default on it. I really do. I want to say, you know what? That $167. I need that. I need that really bad. Cause I'm paying for private tuition for four children right now. Yeah. Um, so just again, that goes with don't give up. But what you asked me was what inspiration or words of wisdom I would say you must find a mentor. You must find someone who I wish I had had on those college campus of Bloomington, Indiana, who would have said, hey, how do you know you want criminal justice? What is it about that? We have an amazing nursing school up there on that hill. And maybe you should try that. Like I had no nurses in my family. I am the first nurse in my family that actually in my biological family, I married into a family of women who are all nurses. I had no idea. Um, but I wish somebody had had like, I heard that there's a test and you can, you can validate this for me. There's like a 500 question characteristic test that you can say what you would be most prone to excel at. Yeah. I don't know what the test is. I may have talked about it before, but I wish I had taken that test and it might may have revealed nursing was my way to go, but I don't regret anywhere in my path yeah. um, of, of where I've come from, because I believe everything is meant for a reason. 
And I know um, that having a mentor in whatever field you're in or whatever field you're thinking about going into is really um, huge. It's yeah, huge. It yeah. It's so important. I really. have mentors of me. I have mentors of mine who have been hit by COVID in so many ways, physically themselves and being let go of their job after furthering their degrees and becoming, you know, leaders, they had to change um, hospitals and actually they moved. And while they're fulfilling their dream of living in the sunshine state, they had to get back into the work field. And they're asking me, you know, you're still in it. You're still doing it. Um, what words of advice do you have? And I, I feel honored, humbled, proud to be able to work with those same people to help me get to where I am, which is, I just want to almost leave it at this, which is exactly where I want to be right now. You know, I say where I'm at right now, this is exactly where I want to be um, right now. I'm so happy to be where I'm at. The thought has crossed my mind to become a nurse practitioner. Um, you know, I'm done having children. And, um, you know, that the, the thought is always out there to keep doing, you know, what I'm doing now and maybe even better myself. We'll see. I don't know. Stay tuned for part two of the podcast. I love part two. Right? So um, I do just want to wrap up and say just a cute story. I had the honor to be one of Malky's children's teachers and her daughter um, used to call me Maura Wee Wee because um, it's very hard to say Maura Wendy. And for people who don't know what Maura stands for, it's teacher. And um, at the end of every day, instead of, she couldn't say love you. So she would go Lalo. And so now Malky and I say that every day. So in closing of this awesome podcast and looking forward to part two, Lalo, Lalo. Hello, thanks for the opportunity. It was amazing. Yay. Okay, so I'm going to stop.